and welcome to episode 6 of the Slash Innings Podcast. I'm your host, JR, and this is where we discuss horror's influence from the silver screen and beyond. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, March 11th, so just before the quarantine, and like the past couple episodes, the virus isn't really discussed. On this episode, I chat about 90s horror. It's a decade rife with remakes, and everything was dubbed as a thriller, but gave us some of the most important titles in horror, and some really important entries in long-standing franchises. I know, there are so many movies that we didn't even think to discuss during the episode, but to try and discuss a decade of movies in 45 minutes, especially with my tendency to get sidetracked, is quite literally impossible. We also take a tangent and discuss the Final Destination franchise after a recommendation from one of you was sent in asking me to chat about the series' influence on the genre, which, Aaron, I hope you are listening and I hope you enjoy. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy out there and get a kick out of this edition of the Slashings Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Slashings Podcast. I'm joined by my friend Michelangelo. Hello, everyone. Hey, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Uh, sure, I am Michael Angelo. I am probably the boringest person that's been on this <laughs> podcast so far. It seems like everybody else has probably some cool story or connection uh, to horror movies. I just really like to watch them. But being a fan is in and of itself participating in the horror community, so you absolutely belong on this episode. I would agree. Of all the different types of cinema out there, there is some sort of group that seems to linger together. You don't see... Um, romantic comedy group. I mean, maybe you do, but I have not seen a romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think would be the headliner at the world's first rom-com convention? Oh, um, the guy from the hospital show, um, Grey's Anatomy. Um, he just like, as soon as you answered, asked me that question, his, his face popped in. He was in <laughs> Enchanted. Okay. Um, God, what is his name? Like how I started this episode with a question I had no answer for. Yeah, no. And no and I, research. Yeah, and I can't even tell you <laughs> the man's face that I'm thinking of. But I guess I'm also now just thinking that it would not just be movies, but like all those terrible TV shows. Like, oh my god, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> and I we're probably going to get a lot of comments saying, like, Scandal is amazing. But really, it's, it's, it's no. It's really just a rom-com with a president and stupid stuff. But it's interesting that we even started this talking about rom-coms, because the decade we're going to focus on for this episode is 90s horror, which a lot of it kind of lent itself to that rom-com, MTV-era, TV-style like movie type, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you, well, you know, thinking that, and I'll just jump right in and say Scream is yeah. the first movie that people think of. Um, if you kind of break that down, there's some rom-com elements and jokes in there that they are bringing to the forefront to lull you into this sense of calm before they do something ridiculous and Mm -hmm. kill someone off did you see the original scream in the theater i did see the original scream in the theater um scream the four disc dvd box set was also the first dvd that i ever bought um, I wanted it so bad that I bought it before I even had a DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> is that still one of your cherished items of your collection? It is, and I'm actually kind of bummed that they didn't re-release a new set when the fourth one came out mm. with all of them together. Yeah, because I, I have the Blu-ray set of the first three and then two documentaries, very misleading in titling it the five film collection. Oh yeah, no. That's... It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I, I've said it before, but the, the fourth film is remarkably underrated in the franchise. I'm so glad you said that, because I was just about to make a comment that I'm sure at some point people are going to disregard everything I say, because I really liked the fourth one. No, I like the fourth one a lot. If anything, I like it more than the third, and just about as much as the second. Oh, see, and I really, I kind of liked the third and didn't love the second. Oh, I love the second. Mm, I know, it just didn't do it for me. It felt very much like the, um, when they brought like the Star Wars back, it felt like the same movie. Mm-hmm 
again, just kind of changing the background of it. Which is weird because you didn't have that nostalgia factor that Star Wars had. It was Scream 1 came out in 96, Scream 2 came out in 98. It Was it two years in between? Was it? It's okay, we have the internet, we can verify time. I, I can brought be very my wrong. computer. <laughs> <laughs> Scream 2 officially came out in... Testing the speed of my Wi-Fi. Oh, 97. So it was only one year yeah, after. that's what I thought. So you didn't have that nostalgia factor to bank on like Star Wars did, but the second one still performed really well in box offices. No, uh, but I almost think nostalgia is the wrong word because it's still that feeling. It's that feeling of revisiting something that you enjoyed. Okay. And in these cases, and I think that is part of the horror community, is it's about let's get people back into that feeling that they had with these characters that they enjoy because you, you horror movies are an emotion like mm-hmm. it's a roller coaster of emotion that you're going on and i think that's where the nostalgia also is a thing it's it brings you back to a feeling that you had when you watched those movies so is there a certain level of that same chemical reaction in your brain just on a faster timeline yeah, that makes sense. And with a lot of the films that continued like the franchise route in the 90s, a lot of them lost steam. So I think you can only capture that so many times in the same franchise before it's lost. Yeah. Because you had Freddy's Dead, the final chapter, came out in the mid-90s, and Jason Goes to Hell, neither of which did well for the franchise, were kind of death knells. Well, that's because they were also really bad. <laughs> What, you didn't love Worm Jason digging through bodies and becoming different people? <laughs> no, but didn't, I think, didn't New Nightmare come out in the 90s? Because that is deep enough in that it should have been fatigued, but it didn't. It was something new and it was something different, but it brought you that same feeling of you're back with those characters. Because New Nightmare did come out in 94, but I think that was his way of preparing, to, or Wes Craven's way of preparing to do Scream. Because it was that self-aware film. Mm. Oh, disagree? It's not disagree. I don't know. They're just I guess I guess you're right. At the beginning at the end of the day, it's the same idea of this meta of what horror is. Mm-hmm. It's just New Nightmare was very meta yeah. and Scream was more just self-aware. What do you what's the line between being meta and being self-aware? Mm. The for the sake new of night, yeah, new nightmare took place in a world where both c- were real things. It took place in a world where the films of Nightmare on Elm Street were a real thing. They wound up then being based on ancient mythology and characters that then became real. Right, but Scream took place in a world where Halloween was a real thing. That Jamie Lee Curtis was a real, actor. but it wasn't its own thing. It's almost like I would go to like Scream Two where. Stab was in the movie. (laughs) So if Scream 2 was more about Stab, then we would be back in New Nightmare. That makes sense. Because if if we're going for things based on reality in movies, you did have the slasher character of Ghostface from Scream basing himself on horror films that already existed. Right. Which are then based on real life, well, not real life killers and murderers, but to an extent real life killers and murderers. Yeah, I mean, how often do movies get to say this is based on a true series of events? But even then, with like a a big tongue-in-cheek, like you look at Texas Chainsaw, it's loosely based on Ed Gein. So it's it's now art reflecting or art reflecting art reflecting life. Is where you almost wound up with with Scream. Yeah. With that meta self-aware type feel. And then, 
going off of both Scream and New Nightmare, Wes Craven kind of owned the 90s with major films. Because he also had People Under the Stairs that came out. Um, the, he he directed Screams 1, 2, and 3, right? He had that whole franchise. Yeah, he had all, all of them. It was the only, I think the only person that left was... Didn't Kevin Williamson leave for the third one? Yes. Yeah. But I think everybody else was the same team. And then a lot of other franchises kind of tried to mold themselves after that look. Even like the ones we brought up earlier with um, Jason Goes to Hell and um, Freddy's Dead. They both had that like... Well, no, first they came out before that, but they had that referential feel to it that felt based off of Scream. And so it kind of felt like the death knell of the 70s and 80s slashers. Because neither of those, for the most part, none of those characters have come back except for Michael for the 2018 Halloween. And yeah, he came back for the Rob Zombie ones, but it didn't glom onto society, didn't have that immediate reaction that 2018 did. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. I think that they did a good job of bringing him back to the forefront because i mean i think everybody knew who michael myers was but not necessarily his story Mm -hmm. like he was a character that if you saw him you would be like oh that's that's the guy from halloween Mm -hmm. but i think the new movies brought him back to more people knowing like what his actual story was before and with michael too for the 90s when did h2o come out because that also to me felt like halloween trying to be scream both H2O and Resurrection. Well, that also was Kevin Williamson, too. Oh. He wrote that. I didn't know that. Well, and I think it's funny, too, because you, when you really start looking at the writers and the directors and everything, you almost have to see, like, what was their style and more what worked in the 90s and what didn't work later. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, I'll say one of those movies that people are probably hiss at me at. I was a huge fan of Cursed. I'm unfamiliar with Cursed. Can you give us a a summary? Um, Cursed was Wes Craven's um, try to do a werewolf movie. To me, he found this look that worked for him, but it worked for the time. Mm -hmm. And Cursed bombed. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody liked it. It wasn't um, the success that he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's because of him. I think it's because the times and the tastes changed. Because if you watch it now and you watch scream and then you watch cursed you would be like oh these movies were made a year apart because it's the same referential it's the same colors it's the same tone i think part of it is just the time period was successful with these movies and he hit it just right which is weird because i feel like he had that same problem with his last um directed movie my uh, My soul to take Mm. it sort of had that same palette and taste to it but you watched him evolve over the years between like the b-movie stuff he did in the beginning with like the hills have eyes and last house on the left evolving to the 80s slasher of like the the of nightmare on elm street you saw him change with the times it's weird that he got stuck in this one it's not like yes scream was definitely one of his more successful films but i'd put it on par with success with his earlier work as well so I, i agree but i think it's he didn't i don't think that he changed with the times i think we just watched him grow in the times and then he just happened to I guess we'll say Bloom in the 90s. Okay. And then that was his style. That was what he has had grown to become from when he did, you know, Serpent in the Rainbow to yeah. Scream and all these movies was that was him finding himself. I think it didn't help that he was so successful in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it was like chasing that carrot every time later that he was good at this and he just couldn't figure out why it wasn't working again. Because wasn't there a really bad newer one, too, that was, like, in an insane asylum? Are you thinking of John Carpenter 
Oh uh, yes, because um, he tried award. to. Yes, that. Uh, yep, I absolutely am. Because another one that didn't make it out of his peak, I, I guess that point really resonates. Because you look at his body of work, and he had he evolved from the seventies through the eighties, and had some good work in the nineties too. With um, in the mouth of madness, mm-hmm. which I still stand by being one of the best Lovecraft adaptations without actually being based on a real Lovecraft story, because it had all that cosmic element horror to it. It was kind of the perfect pairing of um, Lovecraft and Stephen King meets Carpenter. Yes. A hundred percent. And that's another writer that had a, a string of adaptations to really specifically 90s flavored films. One of which I know we both agree on is the TV miniseries of Rose Red. Oh, God, <laughs> I love Rose Red. <laughs> and I don't feel like it gets the due that it's that it's owed. It doesn't. It's Nobody <laughs> likes it for some reason. If you watch it now, you definitely get taken out of the um, atmosphere a little with some of the special effects. I think we can... Yeah, but I, with this genre in particular, you know that the effects are changing over time. Right. There are some that are timeless. I mean, um, Cronenberg's work on the fly, or not, or who did the special effects for The Fly? I'm going to get murdered for not knowing that off the top of my head. I'm going to get more murdered because I've actually never seen The Fly. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, body horror is one of the few things that still oog me out with watching it. So like films like The Fly or Society. The or, Thing. The Thing, not so much because The Thing, it wasn't, well... The thing, it was inherently not human to begin with. So the fact that the humans are having their bodies Correct. disturbed is what uh, really doesn't gets bother you. Skin. But it doesn't bother you in the thing, because looking at it, that's not really a human, that's an alien? Correct. Okay. I, I, I understand that it doesn't quite match up, because either way, they're not... You're real, watching but... a human get their <laughs> chest ripped open... <laughs> For one of the best scenes ever, where they it's, reached in with the easily, yeah, and, and those special effects hold up perfectly, and I think that's the different, the, the one of the biggest differences of going practical versus digital. But we're in a time now, at least, that the digital effects to me feel like they're going to age well. But I thought the same thing when I played PS One and PS Two video games. Now I can't play them. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. There's a certain when I mean we can we can tangent off into video <laughs> games real quickly. I think that there was this big burst where we had like the Nintendo Classic and the Super Nintendo Classic, yep. and I actually think that's we're not going to see that anymore, at least not for a while, because I think there was a time where you can go back and replay the games, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, this is amazing, I love having that, and then when you get to like the PS2, late PS1 like GameCube games, they look awful. They look so bad. So I don't even think there's nostalgia necessarily for that that can overcome. See, I don't know, because now we're in that time where you're getting all of the remakes. Like Resident Evil 2 got the reboot last year, and people loved it. But the original Resident Evil is impossible to play. Well, right. So I think we'll see, like what you're saying, I think they'll take some of those games, and instead of using the nostalgia to release the originals, they will make new versions. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I would kill for a newer version of Silent Hill because I went to try and play both 1 and 2 not that long ago. And I, we're still in the realm of 90s horror. <laughs> still there. <laughs> and it just it's impossible to play it. The scores are great. The story was great. But I can't play it the way I did when, it, like when I no. did. No, but I think kind of transitioning back into movies, enough time has passed now where you're saying that they're bringing these video games back. Now we're seeing the remakes of those you know 90s and 2000s movies which makes me feel old to think that (laughs) movies that i've seen in the theater are 
being now remade. being remade because enough people weren't around <laughs> during the <laughs> peak age of going to the movies to see them. So if we take the Scream TV series off the table for a minute. Why? Because well, I still want to talk about that. Okay. But do you think there's... What do you think the future of the Scream film franchise is? Because you know they're not going to leave that dead forever. Do you think it's a continuation or a reboot that's self-aware of the original story? Uh, I haven't seen the newest season of the Scream TV series either. I would like to interject that. Okay. <laughs> I think the only way that we'll ever see anything again is a complete reboot. I think enough of the existing cast has made comments that they would have a hard time revisiting it without... Um, Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Um, that, like I, there was an interview that I read not that long ago from Nev Campbell, mm-hmm. and she said like it's not even a, um, like an honor thing. It's a like emotionally. She was saying that like movies like that are really hard to work on, mm-hmm. and he was a reason that she survived, for lack of a better word, doing all those because mm-hmm. she trusted him and worked really well for him. And she said, she's like, I don't know that I could go to that emotional place to be Sydney again for somebody else. So, I mean, without without Sydney Prescott, is there okay. another Scream? So, reboot or remake, if it was a direct remake, who would you like to see be your new Sydney? Oh, man, you gotta just drop that question on me. It's a tough one. Um, I also have zero answer. You know, this is, it might be kind of strange, but I would not hate the girl that's currently in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Okay. Like, uh, Sabrina. Sabrina, yes. Um, I think, you know, you don't necessarily think of her because of her, like, cheery face and blonde hair, but if you watch the show, she kind of kicks ass and has a little bit of attitude. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a perfect pair. I can see that. With Sabrina being such a big hit and obviously pulling a lot from the craft, have you read anything about the new craft film that's coming out? Uh, no, because that is like one of my favorite movies. And so I am, I don't want to say I'm against a remake because I'm always open to them. But that's one that it shouldn't have worked. When you think about what that movie was and what actually happens in that movie, it should not have it shouldn't have even passed the like script writing stage because it's uh, this pop 90s movie that gets very dark all of a sudden out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and has you know one minute it's like again that like upbeat teen we're all in school together and then the next it's like rape and like actual like witchcraft and murder and summoning evil dark magic and it, mm-hmm. it, the fun of it doesn't go away but the which is weird because on one level it kind of should it should have <laughs> that's what i mean it shouldn't work but the last probably what 20 minutes when they have like the big fight at the end oh with their hands turning into snakes that, yeah it's, it's really terrifying intense. i had nightmares of that for like years <laughs> and she, there's one part where the she uh, makes the dresser fly across the room and crush the other girl and mm-hmm. i remember just being like oh shit and then they move the dresser and she's like gone. Yep. But no, she was like really there. She just, it was, it's, it's really good. Cause we're at that point now where a lot of like the, a lot of the films and subject matters that are coming out now are occult based and demon worship and witchcraft and witchcraft is kind of a, oddly in vogue right now, which make it, it's a good thing. And I think there's a lot of good material to pull from it. I'd like to see more originality come from it and not a direct remake. And I mean, Blumhouse has been kind of hit or miss with the remakes that they've done. So I'm a little concerned about the idea of a craft reboot. 
I just I think it's one of those lightning in a bottle things mm-hmm. that too much happened that shouldn't have happened correctly. So to make it happen again is just too hard. And you're right. The whole magic and witches thing is really big right now with mm-hmm. Sabrina coming back with them remaking Charmed, which I did. I will admit that I had watched the old show. Mm-hmm. I've not seen any of the new one, but that's, you know, it is it is hip right now. But, like, the new Charmed, that season of American Horror Story that was really popular, they brought those characters back in for one of the later seasons as well. Witchcraft is at an all-time high, and I feel like companies like Hot Topic and Spencer's and Newberry are all benefiting off of that immensely. So I guess the time is right for a new craft, but I don't know if we... I don't know that anyone actually asked for it. I guess it's kind of happening. No, because <laughs> instead, can and everybody is asking for a new or a sequel to Hocus Pocus. Can we get that instead? That's supposed to be officially in production. Is that a 90s horror movie? Yeah, that came out in 93. Nice. Still on top. I think you had it. Because that one was written by Mick Garris, too, who also wrote a lot of the really good 90s Stephen King adaptations, and had Doug Jones, who is famously now known for The Shape of Water and for being Abe Sapien and Hellboy, and it really just captured a lot of that 90s fun, I guess, for Halloween that we don't have as much now. Halloween's kind of taken... Not a lower role, but it's definitely not as much of a thing as it was then. And that's, it's, things change with time, and a lot of the Halloween traditions aren't things that are happening as much now, but Hocus Pocus really nailed that whole vibe. Yes. And people have been asking for that sequel since, as long as the first one came out. Um, let's go back to yep. 90s. We're way off. Yeah, we're way off. <laughs> 90s remakes. Um, I probably don't have a lot to say about this, but I have a feeling you do. Um, the Candyman remake. So I'm very excited for the Candyman remake because that first film of the of that franchise is one of my absolute favorites. I know this is why I pinged you for this. And two and three just did it. It lost its punch. It became an almost entirely different message behind it. So with this new one coming out being spearheaded by Jordan Peele's production company and him kind of putting his name and flavor all over it, I think there's a lot of good behind it and the fact that we know tony todd is in it is exciting and they're not giving the full reveal whether or not he's going to appear in the Candyman costume i mean he kind of has to right i i thought it was interesting the way that they did the trailer in the sense that you really don't ever see Candyman, and if you don't know the original you you could almost think this movie was about somebody going crazy and it not being a real thing so it's 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 a good marketing technique i absolutely loved that they used say Say my my name name. as the song because i never ever in a million years would have said oh yeah that's a good idea for a horror movie (laughs) trailer but i was like oh shit this is this is fantastic because like peel and his uh, monkey power productions did the same thing for the us trailer where they had i got fives on it but transformed it into this creepy atmospheric thing. But even that didn't really fit as hard as Say My Name did, especially for the Candyman franchise. No, and I didn't even put it together until after the trailer was done and it was like five minutes later and I was still thinking about it and was just like, oh, wow, (laughs) that's amazing. Do we know if they've confirmed Philip Glass for making a new score for it? Because they used the original score and the trailer mashed up with Say My Name and Philip Glass's score for that's one of my absolute favorites that would be kind of cool if they just left it so the music uh, according to the internet music for that is being done by one robert a a low oh him yeah yeah sure totally yep <laughs> <laughs> uh he's known by the name lichens 
I don't know anything about that. Yeah, good. Now I'm out for you. <laughs> but I'm hoping that they use a little bit more of Philip Glass's score with it because that was iconic and signature to the film itself. I mean, it, when you think about all the different Halloweens, mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job of taking that like core sound and making it their own. I really think I. It's unfair to say because I the newest one I think did a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. But that's also John right. Carpenter that's why. That's why I say it's unfair to say, <laughs> but. You know, it's you can take something that's iconic like that and tweak it just enough so that it feels a little different, but it's still like the comfort of what you know. I think with the separate with Candyman in particular, with the separation of the original source material, because I don't feel like that one amongst horror fans it took off phenomenally well, but outside of that immediate community, it's not as well known or recognizable as like the Michael Mask or the Scream Mask. I think he might be the next generation slasher iconic character. I think he would be on par with the new Pennywise adaptation with kind of usurping that character and being the new big one. I'd like to see Candyman be that next. I had I missed the chance to be my victim. Fuck. <laughs> but being the next big slasher character would be really exciting because we don't have that right now. I don't think it's going to happen. Because they look like they're leaning more toward that psychological route with it? Yes. Yes. I think he's going to be in the movie a very minimal amount i really think the majority of the movie is going to be just about the humans uh, obviously just the humans <laughs> <laughs> just about the people who are experiencing his what do we say wrath wrath haunting yeah i don't know because he's just a a folklore character that's being brought back by repetition in that area and i, I love the fact that it's still filmed in that same cabrini green area and still has that same mm-hmm. just vibe to it well and i think i'm not one to sign up for like the political side of discussions Mm -hmm. but right now we are kind of in a world where race and all that kind of stuff is a big thing so if i'm not totally wrong wasn't his origin story about him wasn't he didn't he fall in love with he fell in love with the i think it was the plantation owner's daughter yeah and that's and why, that's he why and they tarred him and covered him in the bees and mm-hmm. yeah so i feel like that story at the root of they could play with that in a way that is still very relevant um with us talking about Candyman and its original lead star of tony todd uh this whole episode was spawned off of a question that was sent to me to talk about the final destination films which also helped to put tony todd kind of on the map for the end of 90s early 2000s horror because the first final destination film came out in 2000 with him playing death um the question was pitched to me by my friend aaron the question i was told what or sent was it's more of a statement than a question i'd love to hear you discuss final destination its influence on the genre going forward and what impact if any you think it had on society personally i think the first two films are criminally underrated for what they are i'd love to hear someone else's take on them so thank you for submitting that, Aaron. I really appreciate it. What are your thoughts and opinions on the Final Destination franchise? Uh, first, my thought and opinion is that was an amazing transition. Right. That was, I can't even believe that that worked out the way it did. <laughs> um, I, I, like, Final Destination is the epitome of highs and lows. Because mm-hmm. there's like, they're some amazing moments in those movies. And even the bad ones. It's not even about this movie's good and this movie's bad. In each individual movie, it's a roller coaster of highs and lows because even mm-hmm. the bad ones they've got moments of like oh that was smart um i personally think the second one is better okay i think the first one feels a little like they had an idea and didn't execute it a hundred percent 
And then once they finally, you know, decided how they were going to end the movie and what they were going to do with it, and then it was successful, I feel like the second one is where they really took the idea and ran with it. I also kind of always hated in the first one that you could see death. Oh, the manifestation of, like, the spirit going Yeah, through. they did, like, the wind, and they did, like, the dark shadow, and because there, uh, there was a part of me that almost wish you removed that, and they made it a little bit more psychological, mm-hmm. and is it, not mass hysteria, but is it... Self-fulfilling is it, prophecy. Yeah, the and is it survivor's guilt? Yep. That's a really good way of looking at it. I, I think a lot of that shadow was t- trying to emulate some earlier films, particularly Evil Dead, where you saw the wind running through the trees. I feel like it was going for that same vibe and style. And I think you're right. They had some loose but good ideas for the first one. They kind of hammered down through the rest of the franchise, again, with its ups and downs, where this first one was written as a potential script for X-Files, got told no, and then they somehow fleshed it out and got full funding for a full movie. Well, and that's where I... I think because it was supposed to be a TV show first, that they were afraid that if they didn't do those visual cues, people weren't going to understand what was happening. It was going to be too hard to follow along until it was too late for them to enjoy it. And I think that's part of the reason why we enjoy the other one so much more is because now we know what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So part of the stress of watching these situations is what is the next thing that's going to break what is the next thing that's going to happen what is the next horrible accident whereas in the first one i don't feel like you get that same dread because they show it to you they show the shadow hitting the water and then you're like oh he's gonna slip on the water you don't have that i can't remember if it was in the third or the i don't even remember what number it was in where they were doing the uh, balancing beam act, jumping around with that tack facing straight up the entire time and you were waiting for her to land, just flat on it and go right into her foot, and you're watching it not knowing if anything's going to happen, had we had that dark shadow and you'd be like, oh, we're just, all, all the dread and suspense is gone. Uh, yes, that was Final Destination 3. Thank you. You're I appreciate welcome. that. <laughs> and I feel like these films did a good job of almost making anthology films without having to have fully separate stories, because each kill or each death moment or i guess the same fucking thing um was its own little mini story within this overarching plot and that was a really cool thing and i as far as its direct influence goes i don't think we would have had the saw films if it weren't for the first final destination oh i i agree because you had that separate kills and that's what kind of became saw's hallmark was the intricate ways of death and murder that really were a human taking the role of the personification of death from the final destination films yeah i I even think some of the structure of the movie in terms of how the kills happen um, is similar in the sense, movie by movie, I mean, Mm -hmm. in the sense that the first one, if you really watch the first Saw, it's not terribly gory. It's, I mean, there's a scene here. I mean, there's the cutting open to get the key. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's a quick flish, flish, a quick flash (laughs) of somebody that is stuck in the razor wire. And there's these just like moments that make you like, not even cringe, but you're just like, wait, what was that that I just saw? The majority of the movie is not much. And I think that's similar to the first Final Destination. Mm -hmm. Yes, the deaths are over the top, but they're not this like, it doesn't follow that same um, like torture porn term that has later come to be the later saw movies um and even to a certain extent i i think torture porn fits the later final destination ones because the person's not necessarily being tortured what's happening around them is almost torturous 
for yeah. the the audience because it's setting up what is about to happen and there's all this stuff going on and then finally something happens and to me it's that same release it's your as things get worse you get tighter and tighter and tighter and then finally they kill the person it's just in final destination that you getting tighter and tighter and tighter is you you're mm-hmm. watching what's happening and you're going what's going to happen what's going to happen <laughs> oh there it is Whereas in the later Saw ones, you're more like, oh, no, they just got this. And oh, no, now they're getting ripped apart. And oh, no. So I think it's it's similar in that sense. I also want to say, going back to your example of the girl on the balance beam, mm-hmm. that is, of all the Final Destinations, my favorite death. Huh. I'm blanking what her ultimate death was after that. So she... fall? Uh, no, that's okay. why it's my favorite. Because she... Um, the... You think she's going to hit the tack. Yep. She never ends up hitting the tack. She goes on to the next um, gymnastic equipment piece <laughs> of whatever, uh, which is the two bars okay. that you like swing back and forth on. And her friend is the one that lands on the tack. She falls off, knocks into the barrel of chalk, which goes into the fan. So while she is midair trying to reach the next bar, she gets the... Um, chalk in her face so she can't grab the next bar and lands in her like entire body just like accordions in half and you're just expecting <laughs> this like big horrific death that's all bloody and really it's just she just falls midair and just snaps backwards and it's i just think it's horrific and it shouldn't be compared to all the other ones no but it's, it's almost the most not the most real yes but kind of the most real that you can relate to yes yes because some of i mean they're kind of over the tub <laughs> right i'm not frying in the tanning bed i'm not accidentally slipping on spaghetti and landing underneath the fire escape ladder so that it, it could impale my skull <laughs> but i i mean I, if you've ever seen me you probably know that i'm not doing uh uneven bars in a gymnasium either but i i could see that really happening versus all the other ones i'm trying to think of what other major deaths stand out i mean to this day the most one of the most recurring memes you'll see online is anyone who ever drives behind a truck full of logs immediately equates it to final destination 2 oh absolutely it's It's terrifying that's lodged into like human pop culture psyche for a movie that i think not not as many people have seen but know that that's oh no that's going to kill me like it did in that one movie yes so I think we're also in a world where we were just talking about there's too many remakes and reboots. We need more Final Destination. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's another thing that they did really well was like those opening scenes, they each kind of hit on different real life fears. Mm-hmm. So you have the traffic scene that like everybody has been in traffic before, been behind a truck. Everybody's been on a roller coaster and the thought process in their head was, mm-hmm. what if this breaks? A lot of people go to NASCAR races mm-hmm. because they want to see not like horrific crashes, but they want to see you want to see something the, go wrong. Right, they want you want to see the crashes. Um, and then I think the bridge one is kind of a little bit of a repeat in the sense that it's that same kind of traffic car traffic, um, but in a way, I, I think it's scarier because that's I mean, people have fears of being stuck on a bridge, and what do you do? Yeah. Like, how do you, if you're stuck on a bridge and it starts to collapse, what, I mean... That's kind of it. Yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> Bye. If someone was to paint the picture of your most feared Final Destination moment where you're stuck and you're going to die, what is it? It would have to do with some... Like, it would be in a like a boat. 
Okay. Anything in a boat. So I I don't mind being in a boat, but my easily biggest fear is being stuck in the water that's over my head. If I can touch the bottom, I'm fine. And pools are fine. But like <laughs> lakes or ocean or anything that's over my head. Um, was open water a 90s movie? I don't know when open water came out. Because that, that's like my worst nightmare. I'm thinking of one particular movie right now that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet. And if we don't get to it by the end of the episode, I'm be a little disappointed in both of us if it doesn't pop up naturally. Open Water came out in 2003. Uh, so, I mean, maybe so it early. Counts. We can count we're, that we're talking, as early We're counting Final Destination as, like, the capstone of 90s. Oh, no. Okay. I, take that sentence back. As a 90s I, yes. movie, not the capstone. Not the capstone. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Open Water. If, anything, like, if we could take something big and grand, like... I know. Let's mix the scene from Open Water okay. with the opening of Ghost Ship. <laughs> and then you would have my final destination. <laughs> Just those, like, the wires and suspension cables ripping through everything was absolutely terrifying for a movie that then had another hour behind it that no one cared about. I was just going to say that there's, there's no movie that got worse fast. No. That was terrible. Uh, the original One of Stranger Calls did that horribly. I don't think I've ever seen the original. The first 15 minutes are great and fucking terrifying, and then the rest of the movie kind of happens. Huh. Yeah, worth checking out. Oh, Ghost Ship is a 2002 movie. But still kind of fits that, like, super glossy end of the 90s one, like you had that. I'm thinking of the style of The Covenant, despite the fact that I think Covenant came out in, like, 05, 06. Which was just a all-male ripoff of The the Craft. Um. Yeah, it was weird. Mm-hmm. It was very... um. Like, borderline homoerotic. Yep. There's definitely some bro <laughs> love going on in there. And I mean, if... I mean, are we? Are you waiting for me to talk about House on Haunted Hill? Is this what you're waiting for? No! Uh-oh. But that's, so that's when we actually talked about where the kind of, some of the genesis of this episode came from. It's a remake that I haven't seen, and I'm a, a diehard Vincent Price fan. It was one of my first ones that I can remember seeing and getting myself into horror. But what are your thoughts and opinions on the remake of House on Haunted Hill? Oh, it's my, it's my favorite popcorn horror movie. Okay. If I just need, like, to put a horror movie on in the background, it's House on Haunted Hill. Absolutely. It was the movie that made me fall in love with Allie Larder. Mm -hmm. She's like one of the main characters in it. And then like watched everything after that she was in. (laughs) Absolutely loved her. A lot of people don't even realize how deep some of the horror in that movie is. Um, The ghost that they created towards the end, if you look really closely, is made up of all writhing naked women. Oh, on like the cut. Co- well, the not the cover anymore, but the original cover art and mm-hmm. the movie posters was naked um, women. Um, the 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 what happened at the house on Haunted Hill is a you know it's a tale as old as time. I'm a psychologist or psych uh, psychiatric doctor who is trying new controversial things on patients, and the patients over overtake and murder all the doctors. Um, it's like it's dark stuff. Fuck, I didn't realize it was that far away from the original film. I've never seen the original, so there's the double feature. We need to just hang out, and watch both. Just back watch to back. both of them. <laughs> All I know is that the original, um, at some point, a skeleton flew across the audience. Yep, that was um, names gonna come to me in a minute. The guy who directed like the Tingler and the original Thirteen Ghosts, Thirteen Ghosts '90s film. Um, the I, I the would, Tony Shalhoub one? I, I mean, I don't know if it's a 90s movie. I think I know it's a terrible movie. It's a great movie. Ugh. Matthew Lillard's finest. Oh, Scream be damned. God. 
Um, but that, yeah, the same director guy, Castle, William Castle, Peter Castle. Uh, I think it's William Castle. Is it William Castle? He had that whole like shock cinema vibe where he put the joy buzzers under the seats for the tingling yes. to make you think the creature was in there. He had the skeleton that flew through for House Naunted Hill and the Spectre Vision for the original 13 ghosts. So you could choose to see the ghost or not, depending on how scared you wanted to be. So is there, in the original, is there a party? Yes. Okay, that's, so that's, that's so this is the husband and wife are throwing a party and they invite guests. Okay, so yeah. Whoever survives the night wins a million dollars split for whosoever's. Okay, so yes, the plots are, that beat is the same. Okay, so, and then, you know, so there's the Spooky first part of horror is, are these people going to kill each other just so one person can get a lot of money? Then it transitioned to, oh shit, something's happening. In this house. And the ghosts are going to kill you. I probably have to buy that as soon as we're done talking. I'm pretty sure Scream Factory just put out the remake of that on Blu-ray, too. Mm, it's re- I mean, I hate to say... Like, now you're going to watch it and be like, I can't believe that you think that that's great. Because you're going to look and be like, um, Tay Diggs is in this movie. Which is like, <laughs> automatically, how can that movie be any good? But the, when some of the films you already love kind of crap like I'm a, I'm a diehard trauma fan it's really hard to say oh no i can't i can't enjoy this because it's bad yep but it's hard to say what movie would be I, I can't say that i wouldn't enjoy house and haunted hill for being a cheesy 90s movie all right we've been going for a little bit here i can get oh, what are your three this guesses is for so the... easy to just talk forever yeah, it's awesome <laughs> what are your three guesses for the movie i'm thinking about that somehow didn't come up also remarkably influential and spawned so I'll go through a couple of hints for it. Two sequels, if you want to be a realist about it. And I don't think, and this is probably the bigger hint than that, Paranormal Activity wouldn't have existed without this movie. Oh, well, that's because I hate that movie, The Blair Witch Project. You hate The Blair Witch Project? I hate The Blair Witch Project. I give them a lot of credit for what they did. I do not understand why people think it is a good movie. I find it terrifying. See, now what's interesting is, so... We were um, at our Cape House when that movie came out, Mm -hmm. and they were showing it at this very old movie theater in Dennis. So old, in fact, that it was the first movie theater to show The Wizard of Oz. Yes, it's an amazing theater. (laughs) It's wicked cool there. So we decided to go see it there. It was me. There was probably, I'm going to say there was 10 or 15 of us, um, because our parents had to drive us and we had to take like multiple cars. And there was one girl who was like cowering in fear in her seat (laughs) and that night after we got home she like like we all stayed and kept hanging out she was like i just need to go to bed like this movie ruined her so then the good friends that we are um met up later that (laughs) evening if yeah mom if you're listening i snuck out of the house that night um and we tied all of the sticks together (laughs) and we filled her yard with them so when she woke up in the morning um because the way her house was is like her bedroom was a little bit off the house so she would have to come out of the her bedroom walk around the front to come into the front door so she could go into like the kitchen and stuff so we knew she was going to have to walk by <laughs> in the morning. Um, and I'm pretty sure I still have the bruise from her running from her house to my house and jumping in my bed and just punching me so hard. And I was like, why do you Why do you think that was me? It was the ghosts. Um, but anyways, I just, I think the last 30 seconds of that movie are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the marketing was amazing. I think the um, 
close-up view where she is blowing snot bubbles will always be a key piece of cinema that we see in any um, parody film that we see. Um, But I just, I don't understand why people think it's a good movie. It was good at marketing. It was good at tricking people. I don't. I don't understand it. <laughs> See, I feel similarly about Paranormal Activity, and maybe it's because I couldn't separate the two. That, to me, it just felt like Blair Witch 10 years later, or 12, 13 years later. I I thought Blair Witch was okay. I mean, um, Paranormal oh. Activity was okay. Um, I actually thought that they got better as time went on, because the mythology um, got deeper. So while you were watching it, at least for me, I was trying to figure out, like, how does this fit in mm-hmm. with everything else? Um, the, uh, would we say the Spanish one? I don't know what oh, the, the, the... Yeah, it was the... the sp- um, that was my favorite one. Okay. I've, I've never seen beyond the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I really liked this. Like, that one, it goes back to... We're both losing a lot of horror cred in this horror right? podcast. <laughs> uh, the, they kept building on the original movie mm-hmm. um, and it felt very how can we like take a pre-existing story and then just add something on at the end so now it's a paranormal activity movie gotcha. so it was we wrote this movie and it's about a haunting oh now just rewrite a couple sentences and now you find out twist it's before <laughs> the other one came out and it's her sister um the now i want to look up what the spanish one is called um it had it still does that but i think that the quality of the movie is better you weren't just thinking the whole time like what is the connection how does this work it almost felt more like a reboot i don't even know if it would come up as a paranormal activity like cuz no, it's, it's not like was... paranormal activity 5 it got it's doesn't it have its own name yeah but it had the marked ones yes still directed by christopher landon who wrote most of the original ones and then a lot of people hated the last one which I actually thought was pretty interesting. Wasn't that one just called like flat out paranormal activity, or did it have a full name to it? No, it was just paranormal, like because it was just like paranormal activity. Oh no, it was. It was paranormal activity, the ghost dimension. The ghost dimension. <laughs> yes, and that one was in three D. Oh yes. I'm so happy that phenomenon stopped. Everything was three D for like thirty seconds, and um, it all looked awful. No, I, I love my three D TV. <sighs> I have like the amount of um, DVDs and Blu-rays that are surrounding me right now. That's if you were at my place, we would be able to do that with three D DVDs and Blu-rays. I think the only one I own that's a three D DVD or three D Blu-ray is the Lego Movie because you can only get the Morgan Freeman's character as a Lego if you bought the three D one. Mm-hmm. And and it's a great movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> that's where we're ending <laughs> <laughs> well um so we've been going for a little bit we should probably start to wind down a scooch um you've been recently create or not recently been working on a creative endeavor where you are folding and shaping books into different shapes that you're entitling new chapter book designs online uh yeah so if you are interested in seeing my books that i make um you go to etsy and search new chapter uh books it is, um, I don't know, it's really hard to describe it. I fold the pages so that they create new images and the themes of the books. So I've done mostly Harry Potter ones right now, but I did do a Freddy Krueger one for a friend um, and actually have been looking into trying to do a Michael Myers one. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and the more I have been researching, some of the design limitations that you can do um, really lend themselves to those very simple horror icon images so 
We're going to see what comes next. Yeah. Well, right before I put this episode up, I'll post a photo of the Kruger book so that we can, guys can get a, a vibe of what we're talking about. But definitely go online and follow or look for new chapter book designs on Etsy. Um, and yeah, well, thanks so much for being on my episode. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. This was amazing. I had a good, good blast. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And yes, I know I should have known the special effects coordinator for The Fly was Chris Wallace, and I should have been way more certain about William Castle's name. Oops. Um, I put it out there on my Instagram asking you to ask me questions, and a couple of you did ask the same one phrased a little bit differently. One was, what was the first movie that scared you, and do you still find it scary? The other was, what story made you genuinely fearful? Any media. For the first movie I can think of, it would have to be Beetlejuice, honestly. When the Maitlands are being exercised at the end and decomposing due to Otho's incantation, the effects when I first saw it terrified me. The effects stand the test of time, but as far as making me want to shut off the movie as it did back then, not so much. But the memory of being scared still sends chills up my spine every now and again. For a separate media that made me genuinely fearful, in Stephen King's novel Salem's Lot, when Ben Mears flashes back to his childhood and remembers the hanging corpse of Hubie Marston hanging from his neck in the self-titled Marston House, the depiction of this corpse turning really ooged me out and made my hair stand on edge and still does when I reread it. Thank you, Kevin and Lewis, for submitting your questions. If anyone else wants to pry around in my gray matter, I am an open book. You can contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All of those are at SlashingsPod, or by email at SlashingsPod at gmail.com. I'll be back in a few weeks, but until then, wash your claws and keep it creepy. <laughs> <laughs>